Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Revenue Builders. I'm John McMahon. We've reached a little over a year of episodes for Revenue Builders, and what a ride it's been for John Kaplan and myself. We've had some fabulous guests. We've touched on some really important topics when it comes to building revenue. And one of those topics is recruiting and hiring great talent, and that's the topic of today's curated episode. Our Revenue Builders team pulled together some highlights from the episodes where we've touched on recruiting. First up is Mike McSally. Mike is recognized as an accomplished business leader with deep experience in aligning people, operations, and technology. In fact, he spent more than 25 years with the largest recruitment firms in North America. Now, one of the things Mike talked about was the challenges with the current recruitment process and what you may be missing if you don't get beyond that resume or LinkedIn profile. Here's a little bit from Mike. So I read one of your blogs and you said that resumes today are, are judged within six seconds. You know, tell me what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I operate from a position that may or may not be helpful, but, but just like healthcare, um, just like what's going on in D.C. right now, I, I believe that most of what's done in recruitment is, is broken. Um, and it, it doesn't take the candidates' uh, background and the candidates' skills, goals, and desires, uh, and, and it doesn't put that on the forefront. And, and we do that by relying on some methodologies or processes that have just been around since the beginning of time. And uh, so the average person will, will spend about 20 hours putting a resume together, painstakingly trying to figure out what adjectives should I use, what title should I use, et cetera. And the average recruiter, even with all the advancement in technology and machine learning and AI, their eyes are trained to look for two or three certain buzzwords. And they're going to spend about six seconds determining my 30 years of, of domain expertise. And if those buzzwords don't pop out and make it easy for them, they're just going to move right on to the next candidate. So, you know, not only does it, it, it just suck the life out of talented people that are trying to engage with the right employers, uh, employers are missing out on great talent because of this broken six second step that happens all too often. Yeah. And one of the things that I always talk is think about is on a resume, you might be able to see some knowledge that the person has. You see some of their experiences. You might be able to determine some skill set that they have. But one thing you can never figure out is their character. And the character of the person is is so important. Yeah, it's it's uh it's Funny that you say that. Uh, I'm, I'll go back 10, 12 years of massive amounts of research that we did specifically in the tech space. And, and what CIOs were telling us was it is becoming just as, if not more important, 
to have you all in the recruiting business to find people that will fit our culture, match our culture. It's becoming as equally, if not more important than their tech stack. We'll train them, but IT is changing and we're no longer, you know, in the basement, so to speak. We're interacting with stakeholders. We're engaging with customers and, and we need those men and women that are going to align with the culture and the core values. And uh, if they're good and they can, you know, think on their feet, we can teach them the tech that they need. So uh, cultural fit is incredibly important. What that means, Mike, is do you think that, you know, most companies know specifically what they're looking for in a candidate? So when you've said, when somebody comes to you and say, said, I want to, you know, hire somebody for this role or that role or a bunch of people for one role, and you start to ask questions, do you feel like they've narrowed down specifically what they're looking for? Or do you feel like you always have to draw it out of them and maybe yeah. send them a candidate and maybe completely off of their description? You, you would think you and I actually met before this call and you had prepped me for these, these questions. But no, John, you're hitting on an incredibly important topic. And, I, and I've shared this and, and during some consulting gigs in my past life, do I think that 99%, I'm making that number up, quite frankly, but do I think 99% of the men and women that we engage with know what they're looking for? The answer is yes. Do I think they know how to articulate that in a way that shows up on a job description that creates two things, a compelling reason to get a candidate to listen to the opportunity and then a realistic preview of what the heck this person's going to be doing 50 hours a week. And that's where there's a lot of room for opportunity and a lot of room for improvement. So well, then that leads into if they can't articulate that when they're giving the, the job as recruiter, then yeah. when you put somebody in front of them, do you think that people are actually capable of interviewing to figure out whether or not those people have those, those characteristics, skill set or knowledge set? Yeah, to, I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer kind of there's two questions in there. The, the first thing for me uh, is he or she with the best questions is, is always going to set themselves up to succeed uh, when it comes to just about anything, but certainly in, in this topic that we're talking about. Um, so, you know, John Kaplan or John McMahon may have a really good idea of what they're looking for, but the better the recruiter is that's partnered with you at drilling down and asking some follow-up questions uh, when they can get you to, to, to then look at what you wrote, what you were the author of and say, John, is this accurate? John and John should go, wow, you did a really great job of getting what was in here, out here and onto this piece of paper. And then um, I think the men and women that are so pressured and so stressed to find good talent right now um, they get involved too late in the game. Most recruitment right now is outsourced to a, a tune of about, you know, if there's seven stages, the first six are outsourced to somebody other than the guy or gal making that decision. And then all too often, we do jump into that recruitment seat and we rely on our gut too much. And um, I'll say this on a public podcast. Uh, interviewing is, is flawed, just like a lot of things. And, and I've told John Kaplan this, even I could be charming for 30 minutes if I needed a job bad enough. And I'm, I'm not that charming of a fella. Holly Castro also joined us when she was the 
chief people officer at Yeti. She has since left that role, but she did talk to us about how she drove efficiency in the hiring process. Listen up. So we've tried to get very efficient with our process. One of the things I tried during the pandemic that we've kept since the pandemic is team interviews. It took a little bit of work to get the teams working really well together. But what we were hearing from the candidate is you guys have a really intense interview process. We have to go through a lot of people. And my response to that is, yes, we every hire we view is precious. We're not a very big company. So um, we want to get it right because when we don't get it right here, it's you, you feel it. Um, mm. You know, somebody mm. comes in, they stay for six, 12 months and then they leave. It's a problem. So uh, especially senior folks. So what we were hearing from candidates is, you know, I have to go through 10, 15 interviews. It's grueling. It's awful. And I was like, okay, how can we make this more efficient, but still get what we need as a company? And so we started doing these team interviews. So now a candidate goes through maybe six or seven interviews, but we've got pairs and the teams work beautifully together. Um, So we worked on that. Um, can you, other- before you move off that, can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, my son just went through an interview process uh, successfully, which was awesome, but he was, uh, it was a panel interview. It was in, uh, in data at, at a large bank. Um, and it was a panel interview. And um, I don't think um, he was prepared for, it was a great outcome, thank God. But I don't think he was prepared for that. And um, it, I'm not always sure that the people on the panel are always prepared for what their role is. So I love what you're saying is because it takes us too long to hire people, too. And especially in this at force management in this era that we're in. But could you talk a little bit more about like the more of the mechanics around putting the right people on the panels, making sure people understand their roles? We got to vet the person through the process, but we also have to recruit them in the process of that. You know, we got to sell them a little bit. We got to vet them. What what advice do you give companies? I love your advice about putting more people on an interview because it'll speed it up. But what advice can you give about role definition, who's doing what, when, and to get a great outcome? And to the interviewers, how do they prepare to be the interviewees? How do they prepare to be the best candidate in that process? Yeah. So on the on the company side, um, one of the things we implemented during the pandemic, which we will keep forever. I love it, is we 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 pick the panel and we pick the pairs. So we're really, really intentional about what's the who's on the panel and who's in the pairs. Then we have a briefing and everybody has to attend it. And the hiring manager, we sort of interview the hiring manager out loud in front of the group and get the group asking questions. Also, which companies do we want to target? Where do we think, what, which profiles should we avoid? Um, you know, all the questions that you, when you read the job description might be in there, but might also not be in there. Yeah. The other thing we're looking at is which, okay, as we look at the team and we have this one role, what are the skill sets that we need or capabilities that we need to balance out and round out the teams? We're really trying to look at that. Um, and then we and then we encourage the pairs to get together. Who's going to open? Who's going to close? Um, what's really interesting is we spend a lot of energy trying to make sure they understand you have to make the candidate feel comfortable. They remember for us, they're also our customers. They we want them to yeah. go buy a lot of Yeti products, right? So if they have a crappy experience with us in the interview process, they they not only are they not going to be happy about either 
the job, but they, they also might not buy from us anymore, which is problematic for us. So um, we want everybody who comes through here to have a good experience. And so we've given them very specific instructions about how to chunk their time. We found that 45 minutes for a, a pair is too short. Um, some pairs want an hour and 15, um, but usually it's about an hour for two people. We don't do three or four or five on one um, because we don't feel like we can we can create a good experience for the candidate. Um, so we're we're pretty swift about getting those stacked and and pretty intentional about who goes first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And then at the end of the process, we do a debrief with the whole interview team where we get and every single person has already submitted their feedback. We give an executive summary what the feedback is and then each person talks. It's not a consensus, but what I would tell you is the quality of feedback that's come back for every single hire. Now, I think if you're hiring 10,000 people, it's different. Right. We're not hiring 10,000 people. Um, but, you know, we're hiring 1,000, you know, it's, it's not a small amount. Um, that's working. That's totally working. And then I would say the, one of the big challenges right now is if we physically need somebody to move, candidates are less willing to move right now. Yes. Uh, and so having a lot of thought up front of, can we have this re remote uh, role be remote? Who do they have to collaborate with? How frequently do they have to? Setting that up front so that we don't get surprised at the end. And the other thing we're testing along the way with every single candidate is, what are their expectations around comp? What are their, ex have they talked to their spouse or their partner? Um, are they on board? At some point in many times in the interview, we stop recruiting the candidate and we start recruiting the spouse or the yeah. partner. And we're really laser focused in what does he or she need? What do they need to get comfortable? If we're asking them to move, what do we need to know about the kids if they have kids? Do they have any special circumstances that are important? Like that seems like a lot of care, but that's what's required right now. Yeah. And then how about for, sorry, Johnny. So just going back to the interviewers, uh, do they know specifically what they're probing for? Or they just, do they, you know, this person's going after skill set, this person's going after experience, somebody's going after knowledge or character. Yeah, so we do give they them. know what they're, what avenues they're going down or do they just uh, No, no, no. We're actually quite intentional about that. So our values are embedded in our um, sort of career competency. Each team is given a competency that they are supposed to test um, that align up to our leadership competencies. So we've embedded that all the way through. So they're really intentional about, you know, I'm supposed to test for this area. Now, I would tell you the more seasoned recruiters or interviewers, they are, they're testing for their competency area, but they're also testing probably for many of the others. And you see that when they come. The other thing that we've done is newer leaders, we, we tend to pair them with more seasoned interviewers. Mark. So... Like I have a, a newer leader um, on the executive team right now, and this person hasn't done much executive interviewing. We're pairing that person with somebody who's a little bit more seasoned. And I think that's a, it's a good way to teach and learn. Completely. How about for the interviewee advice, insight, trends that you're seeing that could be helpful for interviewees to stand out in this environment today? One of the things I'm noticing right now is I think I think this is a product of the pace of how much volume there is out there for candidates. People are coming to the table ill-prepared. 
So it's really stands out to me either when somebody's ill prepared or when they're really prepared. Um, and so when when I tell someone to prepare for an interview, it is like 360. You know, you you go if they're public, you go pull all their financials, you read their proxy, you understand how they compensate, you understand how their competitors are. If, if you can go do a demo, you go do the demo, you you get your interview schedule in advance. Look at every single person. Go look them up on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, if, if that's where they are. Um, see if they've got any, get a feel for who you're going to be meeting with. Um, the, the number one thing I can say right now is I'm finding candidates presenting fairly ill-prepared. Incredible. And do you have in your sourcing, there's a bunch of debates about, Johnny and I have conversations all the time about how we used to feel if we were the hiring managers, we owned the recruitment process. And we very much respected what your organizations did, what, uh, what people organizations and talent organizations did. But at the end of the day, you own it. Yep. Um, give us some insight and in, cause you're also talking about preparedness. And so there's the sourcing of candidates and there's this bringing people to the table and, uh, how much do you point them in the direction to help them from a preparedness, uh, standpoint without giving away answers and. And, and that type of thing. First question I want you to answer is um, your views on who should own it. And I really want to hear everybody else we talk to outside of your organization. They always say the sales leaders should own it or the department leaders should own it or what have you. Give me your uh, insights on who owns the hiring process in a company. Well, my answer is probably going to sound really simple. At the end of the day, the person is coming to work for you. They're not coming to work for my team. So my team's job is to create a world-class process that enables both the hiring manager and the candidate to find a good match. But they're coming to work for the hiring manager. Um, so the more the hiring manager owns it, the best examples I would give is when um, a hiring manager is like, what about this profile? What about this profile? I, it, like they're spending their own time sourcing their network, sourcing LinkedIn, you know, just, oh, I met this person at a conference or I met this person on a plane. Those are the hiring managers, in my opinion, that own it the most. Um, so, you know, I think the hiring manager owns it, but, and that isn't, that doesn't let the HR or the people organization off the hook. They've got to, they've got to deliver a good process. Um, I think the the advice that my team can give is a very good sense of what's happening in the market, what we're seeing from a comp standpoint, what we're also seeing in terms of dynamics. Um, they can be good coaches to how a hiring manager positions um, information. And, and frankly, sometimes they can be a buffer because what isn't very fun for the hiring manager is the first engagement with their hopefully new employee is, this horrible negotiation around money. Um, yeah. And you want to see, especially if they're in sales, you want to see that they can negotiate. But at the same time, you know, that, that just doesn't set the relationship off to be the best, in my opinion. That was some great insight from Holly on the hiring process. Up next is Bill Sia. Bill has spent 30 years in the recruiting business and has had a ton of valuable advice on recruiting and finding a role in technology. He's the current managing director at Foster Beck Associates, 
And we talked to Bill about hiring and key components of the interviewing process, including candidate red flags. So obviously past performance is not indicative of future results, right? But there has to be a past performance because we can determine the attribute that's most important, which is quantifiable success. So that does, but, but, you know, there are people that are going to go to a smaller company and they're going to have the attributes, the hunger, the focus, the integrity, the, you know, the work ethic. But if there's no track record, then how do you really decipher? Because as you know, John, there are people that are fantastic at interviewing. Okay. Yep. And there are people that are fantastic at selling and you really have to decipher the two. And there's a tremendous difference between that. Right. And that really comes into where you really have to torque up the due diligence to make sure that the past performance is quantifiable, which is number one. Uh, number two, the, they, they, they have to have that entrepreneurial gene, right? They have to um, understand what they're getting into. Um, you can see when you speak to candidates, just on the preparation that they do, right? Versus candidates who use their buddy's 30, 60, 90 day plan and change the name, right? Yeah. And, and I don't, I could tell you that I must have received the 30, same 30, 60, 90 day plan 150 times, right? Now, downloaded it off the internet. <laughs> it's the same plan with a different name. And sometimes they don't even change in the properties. The settings so you could see who the original author was all right oh, but wow. but but in my mind that's almost an unfair question what give me a 30 60 90 day plan because that person probably doesn't have enough data to build one right that's usually mid interview stage where the manager goes okay listen in our next meeting give me a 30 60 90 day plan well yeah. in, unless you're going to pull that from the public domain and make a lot of assumptions, to me, I don't like that exercise, right? Now, possibly to articulate or definitely to articulate how you've done that in the past, that to me makes more sense. Let's talk about your past company, right? How you built your, how you built your business. Um, so that's, that's, that's an attribute that I think is, is very important. Um, and I think that, you know, you have to be, Hire people that fit into the culture. And what I mean by that is hire people that you know are going to be working with people that are like-minded, okay? There's some candidates that are unbelievably technical, but they might be in a different stage. Every candidate has a, has a trajectory of where they are in their career. You have to ascertain where is somebody in their career, Okay. There's a spot for that person, but everyone's got, it's almost a bell curve, right? Person gets going, they're making money, they're super excited, they're an overachiever. They're, then all of a sudden, they're later stage in their career, they decided maybe not to go into management. Maybe the kids are out of the house. Are they going to be able to give that, that grind and that level of energy into, into the job? And I've had people that are very senior that can blow away anybody earlier in their career and they've got the track record to prove it. Um, as far as, you know, look, 
I, I think that there's a, there's not enough data in, in any way, shape, or form when I'm going to join a company. Okay, and I feel for these people. You can go on and say, uh, say John, go buy some shares in Zoom. It's going to pop, and you can go pull down all their SEC filings and pour over that that financial information. And this, you could buy the stock after doing all, all your due diligence, and the stock could still drop. When you're when you have a candidate, they're very limited on what data they're really being provided. Companies are not transparent with their funding. So candidates use Crunchbase. What does Crunchbase tell you? Not much, yeah. right? Or they go out to PitchBook, tells you who, who participated in the round. It, it tells you what round there are, the dates the round. How do you know? How do you know how many shares are outstanding or are there preferences? It's very difficult. So I feel for the candidate and you have to have somebody that, you know, it is savvy to the market, okay? Meaning I could talk to candidates and they know what's going on in the world around them. Not necessarily that means they're, they're stock pickers or Bitcoin traders, but they're a student of the environment they're selling into, okay? They know the initiatives of certain companies in their territory, right? They know the general software landscape and and. To me, if you're not going to be a student, and especially as a recruiter, if I'm not going to bring you value from a giving you market coaching and market guidance, then what am I really doing, right? If I'm speaking to a candidate, I better know more about the marketplace. If you want to talk to me about data bricks versus snowflake, we could talk about that all day. I do that by reading, and I want a candidate that's going to do that same level of diligence, because if they're not going to do work in the marketplace, then they're better off going to a marketplace that's not evolving, that's much more developed. Well, it's kind of like um, what you're really saying is candidates are a walking audition for the job. So I hear you talking about risk-taking for the entrepreneurial gene, cultural fit, whether it's a career fit, savvy in the market is <clears throat> preparation that they do. It tells you a lot about the candidate. Are there any, staying on this topic of the candidate for a second, are there any red flags that you can spot a mile away uh, when you first interact with a candidate that um, that are just common, uh, common red flags? The, the most common red flag you really are able to decide from your first conversation is why are they willing to take a look into the marketplace? Okay, the the, the, the go-to answer is, my boss is insane. Okay. Yeah. They're micromanaging me, right? They're using medit. Okay. I had a, I had a conversation with an EMEA leader, true story in, uh, for an opportunity to open up EMEA for a company. And he said, well, is this a, is this a McMahon company? It's a medit shop. And I said, yeah, this company follows medit. He hung up on me, right? To me, you could, people look at it. Is it a, so is it a method of manipulation or is it actually a process? You know this, John, is sales uh, something you do when you can't find another job, right? Or is sales something that's actually a scientific approach, right? So the first one is, why are you looking to leave your current opportunity, right? I get answers of, well, I'm managing the Northeast and the guy in the West quit. So what? How does that impact your day, right? 
So understanding why they're making the move and you can understand their psyche as to what's driving their decision, right? And a lot of times it's completely irrelevant nonsense that they're concerning themselves with. And you have to understand that that's going to carry over. That the bad behaviors that someone's exhibiting at their current role doesn't die and you start fresh at the new company, right? Yeah. And, and that's what you work on correcting, right? Yeah. The other thing is, you know, set process, right? Everyone talks about process, 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 getting into the whole process. Well, how do you sell, right? I remember uh, someone in this business told me, ask someone, give me the top three deals you've ever sold. What are the three biggest deals? And the guy goes, uh, uh, bro, boy, that's a tough one. You know your two, your three biggest deals, right? Oh, that's when you came home and you said, honey, look, look, look at the size of this check. If you don't know your three biggest deals, they probably didn't exist. Yeah. Right. Well, I think you're also talking about, you know, a red flag is somebody that's not self-aware. Like, why are they moving? Um, what gives them energy? What doesn't give them energy? A red flag for you, it sounds like when they're not self-aware, they're not audible ready with that. They can't articulate it. And then they can't articulate how they sell. Um, let's, let's put this over the fence a little bit. I want you to think about hiring managers and sales leaders. And I want you to think about the same question that I asked you. What kind of characteristic and attributes do you love to work with as a hiring, somebody's a hiring manager. Tell me what great looks like when they interact and they, you know, you know, what is, what does great look like when they're ready to interact with people like you to have great outcomes and what does bad look like? So I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through that from the hiring manager perspective, because I know there's a lot of area of opportunity there. Right. So I think the most important attribute is can they hire and you can't take that for granted i know people that are absolutely sales geniuses they know how to build an organization but they can't hire a matter of fact that's the number one reason bc say is people get fired is they can't hit their capacity number yeah. so i need to understand not only can this person hire where are they in the organization do do they have power are they going to be able to impact, right? So look, a manager, they need to be able to recruit, number one. Number two, they need to enable people. They need to onboard these people and enable these people, okay? And you could tell a red flag is when somebody has worked at, at three companies, four companies, five companies, they go to a Series B company and not a single person that's worked for them in the past is following them. Big. Not, right? Do not have a situation where somebody that you've cultivated and grown, someone that you mentored, no one wants to work for you. Now, when I ask that question, they say, oh, I, you know, I, I got a hand, not, I got a nod to Pete or, or I, I called, I called all the guys, gals in my, in my Rolodex and it's just bad timing for everybody. So that's what I want to understand. It's also, yeah. can these leaders generate pipeline, right? I mean, pipeline you're a seller. You're a leader, but you're a seller. And, you know, going back quickly to what we said about, you know, the larger company people, I always, there's the people that are going to sit in their offices hitting the enter button on Salesforce, refresh, refresh. I know sales leaders 
that don't go into deals. I know a sales yeah. leader at a company has been there years, never talked to a customer. So, you know, I'm not saying he's got to be like this founder of Costco that visited a different store every week, but how do you generate pipeline, motivate your people to generate pipeline when you have no idea what the field is, is saying about your product? And I think that the other thing is, can the person deliver balanced and predictable forecasting and deliver good results, right? Can they do it? I'll ask them, how do you do that? What, what do you do to interact with the board and how do you give them predictable metrics on a consistent basis? Okay. And to be honest with you, obviously the profile evolves as the company evolves, but you have to hire for the company today and have a plan to do it as the company grows. Well, we had some great insights here from some of the best in the industry. We were really happy to feature them on Revenue Builders. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of Revenue Builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 